we all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold let's talk finance wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot yahoo finance does just that it consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis making it easier to manage your investments Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. Hi, everybody. This is Peter Schiff. It is Friday, September 8th, 2017. When Donald Trump was originally elected president, I was out there warning that I thought the budget deficits under the Trump term were going to be huge. I was reminding people that Donald Trump never ran as a fiscal conservative, as a libertarian. He didn't say government was too big. He just said it was too stupid. And he promised just to be smarter. He didn't say that he was going to make government smaller, only that he would make it more efficient, that he would do a better job of using big government than politicians who had held the office before him. So it was my feeling that Trump was going to result in increasing the budget deficits that would be necessary to finance a bigger government. Also, Donald Trump never promised to cut government spending, cut entitlements. In fact, he promised the opposite. He promised not to touch entitlements, to allow them to continue to expand. He promised to spend more money on the military, more money on our vets, more money on infrastructure, more money to build a wall. And so I knew all of this would result in bigger deficits. But now my suspicions have been confirmed because now we have news that Donald Trump has basically made a gentleman's agreement with Chuck Schumer to repeal the debt ceiling completely. You know, there's been some debate again about raising the debt ceiling. We have this charade every year or so when everybody pretends that they might not raise the ceiling and then they raise it anyway. We had a a similar, uh, you know, political theatrics going on 
until Donald Trump cut a deal with the Democrats to extend the last suspension of the debt ceiling for another 90 days. And that's when we found out that they had also been working on this deal to eliminate the ceiling altogether. You know, in recent years, this political spin has always been that lifting the debt ceiling is the politically, uh, fiscally responsible thing to do. That America always pays her bills. And because we always pay our bills, we have to raise the debt ceiling. Ironically, they have it backwards. The reason we have to raise the debt ceiling is because America never pays her bills. If we paid our bills, we wouldn't have any debt. We have all this debt because we don't pay our bills. And what government wants to do is continue to not pay the bills, to continue to borrow the money so that we can pretend to pay the bills. And the obstacle to increase debt is the debt ceiling. Now, of course, we always raise that ceiling every time we approach it. But the fact that the ceiling is there, it must have some type of break on government spending. I mean, we have $20 trillion of debt, and we've got all that debt with a debt ceiling. Can you imagine how much more debt we would have racked up if we didn't have a ceiling? And so what's going to happen in the future once that ceiling is removed? You know, a lot of people don't even understand why we have a debt ceiling in the first place. So let me give you a little background on how America came to have a debt ceiling, because obviously there's nothing in the Constitution uh, that limits debt. Congress passed that, and of course Congress can repeal it. But the Federal Reserve, which originally established in 1913, and when the Federal Reserve was established, one of the provisions in the original act was a prohibition of the government, uh, of rather the Federal Reserve, from buying or holding any obligations of the United States Treasury. In other words, the Federal Reserve was prohibited from owning treasury bills or treasury bonds. Now, why did they do that? Well, they did that because they didn't want to create a mechanism that would make it easier for the government to borrow money. They wanted to keep a lid on government spending, and people were rightly suspicious at the time of a central bank that was able to work in concert with the government and enable bigger government and more debt by buying the debt of the government. So they prohibited that. And in fact, had they not had that prohibition written into the act, it never would have passed. Well, of course, the way government acts, you know, you get the camel's nose under the tent. A few years later, we made the mistake of entering World War I. And like most wars, the government uses that as a catalyst uh, to usurp power, which is why in every respect, America has lost every war, because we always end the war with less freedom than we began. And the biggest enemies are not the people we fight, but our own government that uses the war to its advantage. And that's exactly what happened during World War I with respect to the Federal Reserve. Because it was going to be very expensive to finance World War I, and the government didn't want to have to raise taxes or try to borrow the money legitimately from the private sector, which would have really pushed up interest rates, they amended the Federal Reserve Act to allow the Federal Reserve to buy government bonds so the government could finance the war by selling bonds to the Fed. And of course, that created a lot of inflation. And ultimately, a lot of that inflation, uh, you know, was one of the reasons that we ended up with a stock market bubble in the later part of the 1920s. But as a result of that amendment, Congress decided to pass a debt ceiling because they didn't want the government to take advantage of this ability to sell its debt to the Federal Reserve. So that was the origin of the debt ceiling. They said, okay, this potentially opens a door 
to a big increase in government borrowing now that we are enabling the government to effectively borrow from its own central bank. So we're going to have a debt ceiling. We're going to limit the amount of debt that the government can take on. And so this happened in concert with amending the Federal Reserve Act. But the problem was that the ceiling was able to be raised. They should have made it a permanent ceiling. Maybe they should have amended the Constitution or something. But the breaks that legislators put in place to protect the public from the government abusing that privilege that it was only granted during wartime didn't work. And the, the original fears that a lot of people had about allowing the Federal Reserve to hold and buy U.S. Treasuries were, of course, uh, uh, you know, came to being because now we have all this debt and none of this would be possible had that Federal Reserve na- Act not been amended. But now they want to obliterate the debt ceiling altogether so that we even remove any pretense that there's some limit on how much money we're willing to borrow. And as if this is supposed to be some kind of panacea. The people who are in favor of this think this is great because they think the problem has always been the threat not to raise the debt ceiling. That's never been the problem. The debt is the problem. The ceiling is the solution to the problem. But unfortunately, nobody wants to implement that solution because it's politically unpopular. You know, you have all kinds of Republicans that campaign every couple of years that they want a balanced budget amendment. Right. Well, but we never get a balanced budget amendment, but we don't need one. As long as we have a debt ceiling, there's no point. All we have to do is not raise the ceiling and the budget has to be balanced immediately. So, you know, politicians want to talk about, you know, a balanced budget amendment, but they don't actually want to balance the budget because they have the tools to do that. And it is the debt ceiling. But they now want to dismantle that tool. They now want to make it so it's impossible to ever balance the budget and just go into debt indefinitely. But you know what? It's not going to work because just because we decide that we have no debt ceiling and we're going to borrow as much money as we want, it takes two to tango. We need a lender in order to borrow. And if we get rid of the the debt ceiling, we are sending a very powerful message to our lenders that we are never going to get our fiscal house in order, that the sky's the limit as far as how much we're willing to borrow. And now the lenders are going to say, wait a minute, we don't, we don't want to lend anymore. We already own enough U.S. Treasury bonds. And if you're telling me that you're throwing you know, all fiscal prudence out the window and you're just going to borrow as much money as possible, well, we don't want to lend in that environment. Certainly not at this ridiculously low interest rates. So now what's going to happen? Where is the government going to get the money to finance these bigger deficits? Well, it's only got one place the Federal Reserve. It's going to borrow even more money from the Federal Reserve. And what does that mean for the dollar? That means the dollar is going to fall through the floor. In fact, the dollar is already sinking this year. It's fallen, the dollar index has fallen about 12% since hitting its high in early January. In fact, if you look at 2017, the dollar is already off to its worst start for a year, or this will be the worst year for the dollar, since 1985. And 1985 was the beginning of a 10-year dollar bear market. Now, we know the last dollar bear market lasted, I think, six years, from 2002 to 2008. 
I think this one is probably going to be the mother of all dollar bear markets. And I think the dollar is going to fall much further this time than it did in any prior bear market. I think maybe it'll be the worst bear market that we've had since the 1970s. You know, the reason the dollar rallied, and most of the rally happened from 2014 through the end of 20, uh, 2015, it was on the anticipation that the Fed's policies worked, that they were going to be able to normalize their uh, uh, interest rates and shrink their balance sheet and the economy was going to keep growing and there was no recession anywhere in sight. It was all of this, you know, these false beliefs that were behind the speculative rally in the dollar. Now, the dollar stopped going up the minute the Fed started to raise rates, but it didn't start going down until this year. But the dollar is sinking despite the fact that everybody believes the Fed's going to keep hiking rates. Everybody believes that they're going to shrink their balance sheet, that they're going to effectively do quantitative tightening. And nobody believes the U.S. economy is headed for recession. Yet despite all that, the dollar is sinking. And in fact, it is breaking through some key support levels. It has nothing but air beneath it, despite all of this optimism about the U.S. economy. But all of that is about to change. You know, they say that history doesn't, uh, doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes. And the recession that began in the first term of George W. Bush, you know, he was the last Republican president that we had, and he had a recession in his first term. And the catalyst for that recession was the 9-11, the September 11th terrorist attack. And that began a recession. And I think uh, Donald Trump could end up with a recession with a similar catalyst, almost on a similar date. Now, this is not going to be a man-made disaster. I'm talking about natural disasters. I'm talking about hurricanes Harvey and Irma. In fact, Irma is due to hit Florida approximately on September 11th. And I believe that the economic damage done by these hurricanes will be enough to tip the U.S. economy into an official recession. Now, I know a lot of people think, oh, disasters, oh, that's good for the economy because we have to spend money rebuilding what was destroyed. It is not good for the economy. It is bad for the economy. We do not have an unlimited supply of resources. First of all, there is an immediate disruption to the economy as a result of all this damage. But the damage is likely to run into the hundreds of billions of dollars. I mean, 200 billion is just the beginning. It could be 300 billion, 400 billion, half a trillion dollars. We really have no idea how much damage Hurricane Irma is going to do to Florida or maybe even beyond Florida. But where is all the money going to come from to pay for this? I mean, most of it is going to come from the federal government, but the federal government is broke. It's not like we have a giant reserve of funds that are available for disaster relief. I mean, we're broke. We're going to have to borrow all of that money. And what about the cost of rebuilding everything that's been destroyed? First of all, where is the labor going to come from? Where are the construction workers going to come from that are going to do all this work? We don't have enough skilled people. And of course, they're going to have to be diverted from all over the country. So even though there's going to be more construction in Texas or Florida, that means much less construction in places like California, because the construction workers are going to have to leave California and go to Texas. And what about the cost of all the raw materials? I mean, commodity prices were already rising before Irma. What's going to happen to the cost of steel, lumber, cement, copper, all these commodities that are necessary in construction, the prices are going to go through the roof. So it's going to be prohibitively expensive to construct anything outside of these disaster areas. So it's going to grind to a halt. 
But meanwhile, prices are going to go up. So this is not just going to be a shallow recession like the one that George Bush had in 2001. This is going to be a much deeper recession. It's going to be an inflationary recession. In fact, I think this recession is going to be even bigger than the recession that we had in 2008-2009 that we now refer to as the Great Recession. So in all, in all respects, this is going to be much, much worse than what happened back then. You know, I have been warning for years about the problems. I always said that the, the uh, financial crisis of 2008 wasn't a crisis. It was simply the overture to the opera. The real crisis was coming. What has surprised me is how long it's taken between the initial event that triggered the crisis and the actual crisis, because the crisis was not what we experienced in 08 and 09. It's what we are about to experience in the next several years. I'm not saying it's going to start tomorrow, but it is going to be here soon. It is going to happen during the first term of President Trump. In fact, it's not only his first term, it's his last term, because this crisis is going to assure that he does not get reelected. See, George Bush was able to have a second term because the Fed was able to buy him enough time by inflating the housing bubble so that he could get reelected. Well, the Federal Reserve is not going to be able to do that for Trump, nor are they likely to want to do that for Trump. So we are going to have the, the real crash that I have been warning about. And the problem is, because we've had all these years of delay, because we had this phony dollar rally during this period, all the problems that I was worried about years ago, those problems are now much bigger today than they were back then. That means the crisis is going to be much bigger. It is a much bigger bubble now than it's ever been. So there's a lot more air that needs to come out of this bubble. So it's that much more important that people be prepared for what's about to happen. Be prepared for this dollar crisis, this sovereign debt crisis. You know, people are preparing now in Florida for Hurricane Irma, right? They're taking precautions and then they're evacuating. Well, you have to do the same thing with your portfolio. You need to take the proper precautions. You need to evacuate the U.S. dollar and you need to do it before you get trampled by the herd. You know, look at the price of gold, which has been rising along with the falling dollar. The price of gold is up about 17% this year. In fact, we finally got above 1350, which was the, the spike high when we had that knee-jerk reaction when people were initially surprised by Trump winning. Gold spiked up and then it sold off. Well, now we've gotten back up to that spike. Of course, the dollar has already more than reversed all of the Trump-inspired gains. The only market that really hasn't done that is the stock market, but that is going to probably happen sometime, sometime soon. But if you look at the price of gold, it is not skyrocketing. It is just going up slowly uh, and steadily. In fact, I think the pace of the increase has picked up ever since we took out that 1300 resistance, but it's still no, no big moves. We're just moving up a little bit every day. I still don't think that the bulls are convinced that the bear market is over. And I don't think the shorts are nervous enough to basically, uh, you know, close out their positions and take their losses. Now, I think that is going to happen. Maybe it's going to take a break above 1400 to really convince people that we're headed for new highs and bring new money in off the sidelines into the gold market and force the shorts to cover. 
But until that happens, I think we're going to continue to climb this wall of worry. But that does extend the window of opportunity for people to protect themselves. You know, when you have this hurricane coming, the people in Florida have known that this hurricane has been coming all week. And so they have time uh, to take some precautions. Although, unfortunately, you know, there may be nothing that you can do with respect to your property. I mean, a category five, although I know it's been downgraded to a category four. But if it does to South Florida, what it did to some of these Caribbean islands, there's nothing you can really do. All you can do is save yourself. But when it comes to the portfolio, there is a lot you can do. This disaster that's going to happen economically, this is not a natural disaster. Even though a natural disaster may spark the recession, that is not what the cause of the problem is. The reason the economy is so vulnerable to a recession is because of factors that have nothing to do with these storms. This is a man-made disaster. This sovereign debt crisis, this currency crisis, this financial crisis is created by government. But there is something that you could do about it. You can fortify your portfolio. You can protect your portfolio. Not only can you own gold, but you can get money outside of U.S. assets. You can invest in parts of the world where it's a shelter from this economic storm. Because believe me, you know, I am not just, this is not a, a false alarm that I am trying to sound here. This is a legitimate warning that people cannot ignore, right? This is your financial life. This is not your, your, your physical life. But for many people, especially people who are planning on retiring, they have got to preserve their portfolio. You know, where is the cost going to come from, right? When we talk about the hundreds of billions of dollars that it's going to cost to rebuild us Florida or Texas, where's the money going to come from? It's going to come from every other American, right? Because we're going to have to print all this money, borrow all this money to pay for all this rebuilding. That's going to reduce the value of everybody's savings. That's going to reduce... Uh, the, the real value of everybody's incomes. It's going to lower our standard of living. And then when the dollar really falls, see, we were sheltered from all the real effects of the housing bubble bursting because of all the borrowed money, all the, the borrowed time that we got while we kicked that can down the road. But think about how bad the economy has been during this so-called recovery. Again, that's why Donald Trump is president, because the recovery that was being marketed by the Democrats, by the Federal Reserve as being real, voters knew it was a figment of their imaginations. And so they voted for change. Unfortunately, they're not getting change. They're getting more of the same. But the reason they wanted change was because something was so bad. But if things were so bad during the recovery, imagine how bad they're going to do during this next recession. This is going to be by far the worst recession. The Federal Reserve is going into this recession when bare interest rates are barely above 1%. We're starting with a $4.5 trillion balance sheet, which everybody expects is going to shrink and which I've been saying is going to explode. It's going to balloon up closer to $10 trillion. And of course, without the debt ceiling, we now have removed the impediment to start to run 2 and $3 trillion a year deficits. Nobody's going to finance that. The Chinese don't want to finance that. The Russians don't want to finance that. The, the, the Saudis don't want to finance that. Nobody can finance that. This is a gigantic steamroller, and everybody is going to want to get out of the way. You know, when we're talking about hurricanes, this, what is going to happen to the U.S. economy is going to make uh, Hurricane Irma look like a sun shower. And, and so you need to make sure to take these warnings seriously. And I know a lot of people have said, oh, Peter, you've been saying all this stuff for years. I know. I've been saying this for a long time, and I'm right. You know, I was warning about the housing bubble for years and years and years before it burst. 
And again, if you remember everything I said about the housing bubble, I didn't say the housing bubble bursting was going to cause the economic crash. I said the government's response to the housing bubble bursting was going to cause the economic crash because I said the government was going to do everything wrong. I said they were going to try to reflate the bubbles. They were going to try to bail everybody out. They were going to print all this money. Right? I didn't, I didn't call it quantitative easing because I didn't even know what they were going to call it. I just knew what they were going to do before they did it. And they did everything that I thought they were going to do. They made every mistake in spades that I thought they were going to make. What really surprises me is how long it's taken. It's you know, the time period that has gone by since the bursting of the housing bubble and the financial crisis and the real economic crash that I was warning about all those years ago. Well, you know what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen soon, and it's going to be much, much worse. The problems are so much bigger than I could have imagined because at the time I started making these forecasts, I had no idea we would be able to blow the bubble this big. I had no idea that the government would be able to run up this much debt, that we could keep interest rates this low for this long, and we can screw up our economy to the extent that we have. And maybe it takes an act of God to, to kind of you know, get everything going. This is the spark that ignites the powder keg that has been there all along. But you got a short window of opportunity here to fortify yourselves. I mean, if you've already have your accounts set up and you've got all your money invested abroad, well, then you're fine. Then you can relax. I mean, you know, at least your portfolio is safe. I mean, I don't know about, uh, you know, how your experience as America is going to be, but at least you know that your, your, your investments are, are going to weather this storm. But if you haven't taken these precautions, do it now, right? Don't waste any time. Just get everything going. If you still happen to have money in the U.S. stock market, there's no reason to keep money there. The downside risk is enormous relative to the upside potential. There is much more potential investing internationally. Not only are the stock valuations better and the global economies that we're focusing on in much better shape, but the dollar is on the verge of a major, major decline. You know, every time the dollar falls, it generally makes a new record low. The last bear market that really bottomed out in 08, where the dollar was saved by the financial crisis, that was a new all-time record low. This time, there isn't a crisis that's going to save the dollar. The dollar is the crisis, and it's not getting saved by the belt. It's going down for the count. So before that happens, make sure you are prepared. And again, continue to watch and listen to my podcast. I haven't been able to make as many of these video blogs as I used to, but one of the reasons that I don't record as often is because I'm doing my podcast. So make sure and listen. I'll probably have several of them next week. I'm probably going to have a lot of important stuff to say on those podcasts, so you can watch the podcasts uh, on my YouTube channel. Of course, you can go directly to uh, uh, Shift Radio and uh, listen to the podcast, so you don't even need uh, the YouTube channel, or you can download them from any place that carries these podcasts. You can listen to me in your car. But believe me, you want to stay informed. But more importantly than just staying informed, you actually want to do something about this. You want to protect yourself. You don't want to be, I would have, I could have, I should have. You don't want to be looking back at a wasted opportunity and wishing you had done the right thing. You have a window of opportunity. I don't know how long it's going to remain open. So before it slams shut, make sure and do something. Actually, it occurred to me that I forgot to mention a particular point that I wanted to make, and it goes back to the idea of President Trump working in cooperation now with the Democrats. You know, they weren't able to repeal Obamacare, and the problem was that, you know, they wanted to replace it with something almost as bad, and they couldn't really agree on how to replace it. Nobody really had the stomach for actual repeal. That was all political charade, but once the Republicans were actually in a position to take away the free lunch, 
they, they didn't want to do it. They just wanted to rebrand it as a Republican free lunch as opposed to a Democratic free lunch. But since uh, Trump was not able to make any progress dancing with the Republicans, he now looks like he's going to dance with the Democrats instead and make deals with them, which is a very dangerous thing. You know, despite all of the, you know, the, the PR about, oh, cooperating and bipartisanship and we should all work together, uh, both sides of the aisle should come together and do what's right. The worst thing that can happen is when the Democrats and the Republicans work together, because then we get the worst of everything. We get all the bad things that the Democrats want to do, and we get all the bad things that the Republicans want to do. So you better watch out. Bipartisanship means more spending, more government, more debt, more inflation. You know, when they are passing the, uh, this, the, the bailouts or the hurricane relief money and the hundreds of billions of dollars there, you know they're going to want to throw in some money for infrastructure in other parts of the country that are certainly going to be hurting as well, especially if I'm right, if we're going into a recession. In fact, if we're going into recession, they're going to want a whole stimulus package. They're going to want to spend money on all sorts of things. And of course, there's going to be a lot of automatic spending that's going to kick in. You know, we've already seen a big tick up in the unemployment rate this week. This could be the continuation or the beginning, rather, of a brand new trend. So we need more money for economic stimulus. And of course, tax cuts. Everybody wants tax cuts. They want tax cuts for the middle class. Fine. But where's the government going to get the money? They actually should be passing tax hikes on the middle class to pay for all the disaster relief, but they don't want to do that. So they're going to try to uh, combine increased government spending with decreased government revenue by cutting taxes uh, on the very people who need to pay for all the government services. I mean, they can make lip service about making the rich pay it, but the rich are already paying a bunch of taxes. And even if they pay a little bit more, it's the, the middle class that would actually have to pay more to make all this spending possible. But with the Democrats and the Republicans working together and with the debt ceiling gone and the sky's the limit, imagine how big these deficits are going to get when we have all the stimulus, all the, all the bailouts, all, all the disaster relief, the tax cuts. And remember, this is all beginning when we already have a huge deficit. I mean, the budget deficits are already about $700 billion a year. We're not too far below the records of $1 trillion a year, but we're going to blow through those records. In fact, we're probably going to set a record this year, this next fiscal year, when you combine all this extra debt. This is going to be the biggest year, and it's only going to get worse from here as the recession takes hold and gets worse. And as the dollar collapses and prices start to soar and inflation really starts to bite, that's going to be an economic drag. And of course, that is going to put upward pressure on long-term interest rates. I mean, long-term interest rates are still very low. But with inflation finally rearing its ugly head uh, and stagflation or recession and inflation being the environment and our creditors not wanting to buy our debt, and now we have rising long-term interest rates, rising prices, that is going to crush an already weak consumer. So there's really no savior here. There is no way to stimulate. There is no way to bail us out of this crisis. This is coming, you know, and, 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 and this bipartisanship spirit, this is just more indication that, uh, that, 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 that this is coming. The writing is clearly on the wall, ladies and gentlemen. All you have to do is read it. And then after you read it, act on it. Bye for now. Thank you.